1: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
2: Welcome to the Arsenal Vision Post Match Podcast. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is me and Lean from arsenalvision.co.uk. In today's show, Elliot and Tim, we're discussing the 5-1 defeat at the hands of Bayern Munich. I was dreading the match before kick-off, I must say. Playing against arguably the best team in the world at their own ground is always a difficult feat. But even more so, when you have a lot of important squad players injured. Now, it's not an excuse, but it is, is a good reason. Because the last few weeks, haven't been able to rotate our squad, so... To beat a team like Bayern Munich at their own ground, it would require a lot of hard work for 90 minutes. And I don't think the players have got that in-, in them at the moment and then to go again on Sunday against Tottenham, which is possibly a more important match. I would say so anyway. So it's always going to be a tough one. I thought the first 15 minutes, we looked pretty good. We looked pretty sharp. I was surprised we um, kept the ball as well as we did under under their pressing because their, their pressing is amazing, as are all Pep's teams, it seems. Uh, But I thought we we, we looked really good on on the break and we looked pretty dangerous when we had the ball. But we had to keep them out. When you're playing in Germany in front of their own fans, you've got to keep them out and frustrate them. After the first goal went in, which is a pretty poor goal to concede, it was all downhill from there really, wasn't it? Uh, Yeah, so not much to to say on my part, but um, if we can just put it to the back of our minds and refocus for Tottenham and beat them. It's going to be tough now because we're still going to be using the same group of players. And we've lost Bellerin as well, which is which is a massive shame. Don't want to lose any more players, but um, we've lost Bellerin. so that's sad. I'm gonna have am gonna a little cry in a corner about that one. Uh, hand it over to the guys, and I'll be back after the the match. Enjoy the fun
1: Lovely trip to Munich includes beer, general frivolity, and just an exciting trip through a historic town, and some football. On today's Arsenal Vision post-match podcast, my name is Elliot Smith. And this is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Uh, you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We'll be talking mostly about Tim's trip to Munich, and not at all about football. So if you were here hoping to hear about the football, you can just turn it off right now. Um, both James and Paul decided that uh, they could not put up with me following that result and that performance. I don't know that I could put up with myself, so that's fair. But Tim has agreed bravely in his sleep-deprived dep- uh, state. To uh, come on the pod, and we couldn't be happier. I'm talking, of course, about Tim Stillman. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Of course, he has a regular column on Ars Blog, among other places. Tim, I know you were exhausted, so thanks for coming on.
3: My so, pleasure,
1: so to speak. Um, all right, so let's dive right in. How was the trip to Munich?
3: <laughs> um, yeah, it was a uh, confusing, exhausting, but um, a pretty good time. Had um, all told, I kind of I, I wasn't going to go to this because. I've been to Munich many times now, and it's it's a fabulous city. But um, I I just originally I just wasn't going to go, and then I watched the Zagreb game because I couldn't make it to Zagreb. I, I watched that in the pub, and I just I hated it. I hated not being there. So um, I kind of I did a, a funny journey for this one. So I flew out um, six o'clock on the morning of the game. So I woke up one o'clock on Wednesday morning. Um, and I flew back at 9 o'clock the morning after the game, so I didn't get a hotel or anything, just kind of stayed out all night, powered through. So other than kind of 30 minutes here and there on planes and buses, i not really slept for two days. Um, so, yeah, yeah, and uh, it, it, it was, you know, there was a nice number of us, and Munich's a great city for eating and drinking. Um, I've been pretty much everywhere and seen everything um, there now, but uh, they've they, <laughs> two things very very well they do beer very well and they do pork products very very well and they happen to be two of my favorite things so um there you go uh, everything yeah, everything except the game was 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 very very nice and very enjoyable and um yeah. really yeah. i think
1: i was just uh, going to say you know i think this is where you are able to have perspective on the match in a way that some people don't is that you know, if you have memories of a good time had with friends and great beer and great pork products and, a, you know, general frivolity and, and and a memory made, it softens the blow of the football itself. Definitely. And I know the football is the purpose, but for you, the football in a way is, is a medium for making memories with people you care about and just generally having a great time.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that's why I'm. Um... It's always enjoyable, you know, regardless of the result, and unless it's like losing a cup final or something like that. Those are the only exceptions. But, you know, we always, have, um, we always have a really, really good time, and we had a really, really good time this time as well. And actually, to be honest, the game was really... Occasionally, particularly for European away trips, when, particularly when you go to, like, really nice cities, sometimes the game does kind of feel like it's in the way. Um, and, and on this occasion it definitely felt like that I think um, I think pretty much everybody in the stadium would have signed up for the final whistle at 2-0 um, the second uh, Thomas Miller got that second goal I think everybody would have just been happy to say right let's just stop the game here 2-0 Bayern, well done Bayern let's all go and do something better with our time because um, it's game over really
1: Yeah. Look, they're a phenomenal team and and they're going to beat and and beat soundly a lot of opponents. But if we had to sort of point to where the breakdown happened, I mean, we obviously beat them at the Emirates Mm. and nothing about the way they play and the way we play really changed. But the personnel did. So given the lineup that we had available to us, where did you observe the breakdown taking place last night that allowed them to, to put five past us?
3: Um, I think it was just defensive errors, and and in fact, um, as soon as we got to the ten minute mark, just before Lewandowski scored his first goal, we we kind of sat there and said, right, we've we've ridden this first ten minutes out, and actually, I, I felt like we were just beginning to settle into the game because I thought going forward we looked very good. <coughs> Excuse me, because uh, we had because Orla was able to kind of dribble past this first line of pressure, um, but that you know that by and apply to you and once we got through that we had lots and lots of space on the break and, uh, and I thought we looked quite dangerous um, but you know we made, made a mistake on the first goal trying to play offside and maybe you know Gabriel's lack of English might have been an issue there because he's trying to play offside and nobody else is then for the second goal there's another kind of silly error um, and after that, you could just sense that um, that the game had completely gone away from Arsenal. Um, there was the disallowed goal, obviously, and had had that stood—not um, that it should have stood. But Do
1: you think that re- that changes anything, or is that one best yeah. assigned to history?
3: I I think I would have changed. I think I would have changed the game. I'm not saying would have won. I still don't think would have won. Um, to be quite honest, because Munich—they're just too good—and I'd never expected anything out of this game at all um I, I think that really would have changed the ebb and flow of the game i think it would have been much more of a contest um but you know we don't get that then we concede the second and you sense there's really no way back and you could almost see the players thinking right okay let's not it was it was a bit it was kind of similar to the Sheffield Wednesday game in that respect i think once it went to 2-0 you could see the players thought process that right we've got a big game on sunday um, and a very winnable game on Sunday in a competition that we can actually win, and I, I I think you could see that thought process from everybody. And I was thinking it as well. I, I was even wondering whether we just you know take the likes of Özil and Alexis off, um, you know, pretty early in the second half. I wondered if he would do that uh, mm. because it was ju- you just you're not getting back into the game against Bayern at two nil and. You know, then it went to three know, and it's and then it's just a case of Bayern being able to score as many as they wanted, really. Um, although I've, I thought we gave a good account of ourselves in the second half, um, but yeah, I, it, it was it was just silly kind of errors um, in in our own area which we didn't make. Um, that we we made very very few of those in, in the game a couple of weeks ago at home, and you know we just didn't really give ourselves. Much of a chance. I think Bayern would have won without those errors anyway. But you know, we we kind of put it on a plate for them, and they're they're not a team that needs help in that respect. Um, no,
1: <laughs> not remotely. No. Um, you, you know, I, I think some of this comes down to partnerships too, right? You you and I had uh, a discussion on Twitter before the match about the impact of Debushi coming in, and you know, you were of the opinion, and I, th- I think it makes sense certainly that. In a game where you're not going to have a lot of the ball and you're just going to be sitting and defending, it's not as important as a game where you'd expect your fullback to participate in the attack and need to you know run the entire pitch and potentially get exposed in behind. Um, but defense and defending as a unit is so much about partnerships. And with Koscielny and Bellerin out, you yeah. got, you got know, 50% of your back four changed in a game where they really need to be in synchronicity, they really need to be organized How much of the the breakdown defensively do you think was poor performances from Gabriel and and Debushi, or more just about not having the established partnerships in a game that really requires cohesion at the back?
3: I think it was a mixture of both, to be honest with you. Uh, you, You're quite right, 50% of your back four, that's, you know, you can probably get away with one, and particularly the right back, and, you know, Debushi is a fairly solid defender, I think. Um, But yeah, two, two of them that that does create a problem, um, particularly like like I said for the first goal, it, it looks to me to be a communication breakdown, and that's probably what you're going to have when you've got you know guys that, that aren't speaking the same language. Um, but at the same time, there there were individual errors as well, and you know, Pear made a couple. Um, you know, quite, un- well, I say uncharacteristic errors. He, They're
1: he's, becoming increasingly characteristic.
3: Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's odd because some games he looks absolutely impenetrable and then some games he just doesn't. Um, and it's, it's very difficult to predict when those games are actually going to come and he, he didn't have a great time. And, um, you know, uh, Perrin and um, Gabrielle's not a centre-half partnership we've seen that much of. It's usually Gabrielle and kashelny um, play together, and maybe had they played together, you know it might have been a bit different i of the opinion that it might have been a bit different if you had med and kaschelmi together um that 's such an established partnership and they 've been you know played together the last four or five games i think, and so it it I, I think it really was just a mixture of both um to be honest with you
1: mhm and for some of it, I mean the midfield has to take their lumps as well i mean for the Muller goal where he passed it into the corner um, from the counterattack, so to speak, that the midfield just got overrun. Yep. Um, and, you know, I mean, Coughlin, who has been fantastic, and I'm not picking on him, he just got run right by. Um, they were excellent. And, you know, on a night like that when they're irresistible, you can't give them any help, and we gave them enough help. Yep. Um, just out of curiosity, I mean, Olivier Giroud, you know, he's he's the striker – Right now, uh, regardless of whether you think he would be or not, if Theo is fit, Theo is not fit, so he's the guy. Any thoughts on his performance? I know it wasn't really a game for our attacking players, although I thought we created more chances than maybe I would have expected, and he did take his goal well. What do you make of his performance overall?
3: Um, I thought he was very good, actually. I thought it was very encouraging. I thought um, he brought the ball down very nicely, and probably um, the big positive kind of takeaway for Arsenal, probably the only one really, the only value we got out of the game. Is that Giroud keeps his scoring running going, scoring run going, and with a really nice goal as well. And he he looks so different compared to kind of five six weeks ago. Um, you know the confidence to take that down and volley it in the way he did. I know, Bayern gave him a little bit, of, probably a little bit too much space, but it was a fantastic finish. And if it just keeps him ticking over, because we're going to need him um, in the next couple of weeks, and well indeed for the whole season, and and that. His, his performance is probably the only real positive um, of the night and I thought he did all of those things that he he does very very well um, I think really the players around him didn't give him as much support I didn't think Alexis was fantastic Joel Campbell was almost entirely anonymous really so
1: that's a level two that's a level beyond him, isn't it yeah, I mean, yeah the, the football that had to be played in order to be in that game last night I think there were just some players that it was a level beyond and Campbell yeah. for me was one of them
3: yeah absolutely and it's you know he, he, did, he did well enough against Swansea I think um yeah his performance has been really venerated and that's that's quite understandable I thought he was very good but I do wonder if that Pudding's been slightly over Just it's because, based on expectation, right? Exactly. I mean, if you're expected
1: to be a liability and you just hold your own, yeah, already you're going to receive accolades for that performance.
3: Absolutely, and I kind of think that's what happened. He, he was—don't get me wrong—he was very good and probably one of our better players on the day. And it, it was probably an eight out of ten performance. Um, you know, which is good and perfectly commendable. But really, Arsenal players should be getting. Seven, eight, at least, pretty much every week, and um, and and yeah, I I agree with you. I think it was just because the expectation of what he would produce was so so low that almost everyone was like, oh oh, he's not completely. He didn't trip over his
1: own feet every three yeah. minutes, yeah. yeah um, exactly. I I think yeah. you know, look, th- there's not much you can take away from the game. I, I don't, I don't think. Sometimes you're just going to get beat by a better team, and with a full strength lineup. I think we probably would have lost last night in the form that they were in. And with an understrength lineup, we were always going to take a bit of a hiding. I mean, do you have any misgivings about the fact that we conceded five, about the fact that this is an Arsenal squad that is talented as it is, has had some heavy defeats in the past few seasons, and that really, even against this Bayern, you shouldn't be shipping five goals? Or is your attitude, you know what, these things happen?
3: It's um it's a really strange one. Personally, I'm a little bit worried by it. Um, I think, <coughs> excuse me, I think that my kind of issue with Arsenal over the years, and I, and I think this even applied to the Invincibles team, is that they just don't take defending quite seriously enough. Um, for me, centre halves should consider clean sheets like strikers consider goals. Whereas I think too often in the past, and it's 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 a very kind of marginal. Known as it were, but you know when Arsenal go three or four nil up, our defenders usually, you know, think well. There we go. If it's three, four, one, that doesn't matter. And I think your defender should have the attitude. We want to keep a clean sheet. I don't think we see that enough from Arsenal, and I think it's a little bit worrying that they kind of <clears throat> they can't seem to keep this mentality going of not conceding. That you know they have a game off basically every now and then from kind of. Uh, defending really resolutely so i uh, in terms of how the manager approaches this i'm really conflicted because on one hand i think they should analyze the mistakes they made um and you know try and guard against making them again against anyone let alone buying but then on the other hand if i were the manager i might be tempted to try and completely compartmentalize this mentally and just say to them look this was a game against you know probably the best team in the world forget about it you know and move on so it's it's a really tricky balance that he has to strike between kind of you know analyzing those those errors that were very costly but at the same time I don't think he wants them to agonize over it um, particularly because I think it's very very clear and it has been for the whole season um, where his bread is buttered uh, Arsene Benga he's 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 going for the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he thinks we'll win the Champions League, even before the group started. Uh, and I was amazed that the, po- the quote wasn't picked up more, but before we even started in this group and had that disastrous start, he was asked about Arsenal winning the Champions League, and he said, we're not dreamers. So he was. the messages coming out from the very beginning, I think, were very much, you know... Probably footballs moved in a direction where winning the Champions League for a team like Arsenal is not impossible, but incredibly difficult because there are just three or four super clubs that you know it's so so difficult for us to shift.
1: Uh, yeah, I'd suggest you're not going to win the Champions League if you don't start by beating Olympiacos <coughs> in Zagreb, but that's uh, that's old. <laughs> spilled milk. So instead of crying over that. Um, You know, I thought it was interesting, though, to your point about compartmentalizing. To be fair, the manager had some pretty scathing remarks after the match about the way we defended. And I kind of like that because he didn't just say, hey, look, they're real good. We're missing some players. It was a rough night. He acknowledged that the defending wasn't good enough, and it wasn't. And I think the players will take those comments on board and recognize that you don't get a pass to be terrible because you're playing a great team. Um, And we are a big enough club that we should, from a pride standpoint, expect a little better. Um. Okay, so two things just to put a bow on this one, and and we'll look ahead just quickly to the North London Derby as well. Um, First of all, lasting effects of this game. I'm going to give you two scenarios. You tell me which you think is more likely, because we saw which one kind of happened after the Sheffield Wednesday game. So one, pride bruised, confidence dented, tail between our legs. We show up on Sunday looking like we're shell-shocked and exhausted from the beating we took. Or pride bruised, we come out with an extra point to prove, extra focused because we want to show we're not the team that just lost five one in the Champions League. Which which way psychologically do you think this this swings?
3: I think um, the season shows you so far the latter scenario where off the back of bad results we've actually gone and got good results um, immediately afterwards. I also think the kind of the tempo the tempo and the, fever, shall we say, of the North London derby doesn't really allow you um, to kind of feel sorry for yourself and in many many respects it might be an ideal game for us um, if indeed that was any sort of concern, so I I tend to think they won't worry about this too much um, our fate in the group really, I don't think wasn't hinging on this result and I think that showed in the way they played as soon as they went 1-2-0 or two nil down, I mean To me, it looks psychologically like they thought, well, okay, um, this isn't happening tonight, but, you know, we weren't really hanging our hat on it anyway. So I think I'm reasonably confident they'll find it quite simple to to compartmentalise. I think the interesting thing, uh, kind of going back to what I was saying about Arsenal's approach to the Champions League this year, where I think it's very, very clear that it's almost on the back burner in the manager's mind. Um, but that's that's a very, very tricky sell. Um, it's a tricky sell anyway, <clears throat> but at the moment we're trying to get Mesut Ozil and Alexis Sanchez to sign new contracts, uh, and that's an incredibly tricky sell to them when you're trying to convince these two major players who want to play in and win this competition, you know, to say, well, actually we're not really going to bother with the Champions League because we don't think we can win it. So mm-hmm. it'd be very interesting to see Um, how that plays out but I I think generally speaking to be honest I'm not really that worried about the long term effects of this and I think that showed um, psychologically in the players during the Bayern game it just looked to me like they thought well okay Um, you know, we had a feeling that we probably weren't going to get a result here anyway and they kind of let the game get away from them a little bit so I don't don't think they'll be shell shocked I think to an extent they might have been expecting it
1: Yeah, Yeah. you know, the other thing, I think when you bring up Ozil and and Alexis, the one positive thing in trying to re-sign them is you have two players who played at Real Madrid and Barcelona. So they've been at the top when those teams were really in their pomp. And there aren't a lot of... What are they going to do? Where are they going to go that's bigger? You know, They're not going to go back to Madrid or Barcelona, I wouldn't think. Yeah. Um, I don't know that Alexis would be wanted by Guardiola at Bayern. Maybe Ozil would, but there really aren't many steps up they can take from from where they've been there are no steps up so they kind of did the bit part player at the biggest clubs in the world thing they may they may like being the big stars at the at a big london club that's trending in the right direction so i'm not super worried about that yeah. um, just really quickly about the group itself though so th- this leaves us in a position that I think we kind of anticipated. And I think it's interesting because it was being spun by some in the media as this was the death knell for our Champions League campaign, and it's all doom and gloom, and, and it's not great. But going into this game, I think going into the, the home and home with Bayern, we yep. knew that our hopes rested on getting three points. Once we got three points, this game was kind of a freebie in a sense. Now, what really hurt was the late winner for Olympiacos in their match, but... This now comes down to beat Dinamo Zagreb at home, which I think we'll do. Yeah. Have Olympiacos lose in Germany, which even if Bayern isn't trying very hard, I still think will happen. Yeah. So it comes down to a two-goal win away in a place we haven't won, but admittedly it's been dead rubbers mostly. What, do you, what If you had to predict right now a percentage chance that that scenario comes to pass, the... Olympiacos lose in Germany, we beat Zagreb and two or two goal or better win in Greece. What percentage do you think you give us of that scenario playing out?
3: Um, I, I think if fair well I, I predicted that scenario, I think, after match day two. Uh, so maybe I'm slightly biased, as it were. Uh, in pure mathematic terms, it's probably like a one in three chance that that's going to happen. Okay. Um, I, I think it's probably quite a bit higher. I mean, the worry for us is if Bayern and Olympiakos kind of collude um, and take the draw um, in the next game, which, which finishes us. do you see that
1: happening, though, given that, that Olympiakos could top the group? I mean, yeah. it, it takes group topping, to some extent, out of Bayern's hands, and at least brings the risk of finishing second. I mean, can you imagine if they agreed to do that, split the points, somehow in in Zagreb, where they're pretty good, Zagreb scrapes a draw with Bayern and now suddenly Bayern have to play Barcelona in the, the first knockout round or something? I mean, they can't they can't take that
2: risk, can they?
3: No, no, and also I, I, I just don't see it happening because the golfing quality between the two teams, I think Bayern could play their reserves at 50% kind of effort and I, I still think that it would be enough for them to get past Olympiacos so I, I just can't see a scenario where that's going to play out, I can't see anything other than a comfortable Bayern win
1: well, the other thing is when you have so much talent on a team like you do at Bayern, when their reserves get in there, they want to show they deserve a place. So a lot of times you're better off playing your reserves in those games because they go absolutely crazy trying to show you how good they are. Um, you know, it, <laughs> I guess the way I look at it ultimately is we know what's going to happen. We are going to beat Zagreb probably like 6-0 at home. Bayern are going to beat Olympiacos. We're going to go to Greece. We're going to score in the first minute. We're going to have a player sent off, and we're going to spend 89 minutes... Chasing the game um, uh, in Olympiakos, trying to get that second goal, peppering them with shots. They make incredible save after save, and we wind up winning by one goal to nil and not going through because that's that's how we do this, right?
3: Oh yeah, yeah. Okay,
1: um, I'm glad we agree. <laughs> um, L-
3: let,
1: let me ask you about injuries real quick. Unless you have another point to make about my doomsday scenario,
3: I, I, I was just going to say actually, if you look at the fixtures either side of Olympiakos. Um, as as much as there are no gimmies in in the Premier League, I think we're at home to Sunderland beforehand and away at Aston Villa afterwards. Now Villa, probably slightly more of an unknown quantity. Now they've got a new manager, but you know if you were going to pick two fixtures, those would be pretty close to what you'd want. Um, you know, not taking those those points for granted or anything like that. So. And of either side of that Olympiacos game, you know, it, it's 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 as good as it can be. And we also I think we play on the Sunday after Olympiacos, so we get an extra day. Um so I think that you know, that potentially works for us, um as well.
1: Well that's good. I I mean I it's it's tough, right, because I think so much of what's gonna happen the rest of the way, um or certainly in that game in Greece, is going to be down to some extent to who's available, right? I mean, what our injury situation looks like at that time. And that that gives us a chance to just quickly touch on the injury situation. Now, look, I don't think you can have an injury record like we have and continue to blame it on bad luck. <laughs> Having said that, I also don't know that you can continue to presume that the medical staff is incompetent because that's just not the case. It isn't. You know, these are very, very talented very pedigreed men and women with incredible resumes. Um, let me ask you this, Tim. We, we have persisted for a long time with a core of players, and, and we touched on this a little bit, mm. who have a bad track record when it comes to injuries. Um, and you can go back to Robin Van Persie, and you could even make the argument, I, I know you and um, Arsbog talked about this on the Arscast, and you made the point that we waited on Van Persie and he came good. I could maybe make the argument... That not really, that what we got from Van Persie for all the waiting we did wasn't worth it in the long run, given the heartbreak of selling him to United and having him win them the league. Um, but you look at whether it's Van Persie, Vermaelen, Diaby, or you know more currently um, players like uh, uh, Theo, Jack, uh, Rusicki, Gibbs. You could maybe put Oxlade-Chamberlain in that, maybe Ramsey in that. Is maybe the problem, Tim, and I get that this is harsh, but, you know, sometimes managing a club is about being a bit aggressive and, and cold-blooded. Is is our biggest problem that key members of the squad that we depend upon to provide depth and will ultimately need to get through any first-team injuries, too many of those players are consistently not selectable because of injuries themselves?
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously that's that's a huge problem. Um, and I, I think it's so difficult because I, I think, you know, the, the kind of the reasons are probably manifold and therefore it's it's very, very difficult to solve. But, of course, I mean, ultimately, when Arsenal are in the title race with, you know, teams like Man City and, you know, latterly Chelsea and even Manchester United, um, you know, frankly, they've got more money than we have and they probably have deeper squads than we have as a result. So, actually, Arsenal are in a position where they need all of the cards to fall for them, um, probably more than other teams in the title race. Uh, you saw, I watched the Man City game on Tuesday night, and they're without De Bruyne, without Silva, without Aguero, and it was just no problem, and they played brilliantly um, in Seville. And, and you know, that's, that's... I thought De
1: Bruyne came on, did he not?
3: I, I think he did, yeah, in the second half, but... the game, Regardless, but,
1: I, your point's well taken.
3: Yeah, yeah, and, and you know... Arsenal really really need um a clean bit of health and things things to roll for them basically we're we're always underdogs in in the title race so and and I you know it's not a new issue it's been going on for years it's cost us for years um and yeah it's it, that's my worry at the moment, and my slight worry for Sunday really is just that there's nobody to bring on um you know, if, if things are going a little bit pear-shaped, there's, there's just, in an attacking sense, there's nothing on that bench. Um, and that, that's, I think, psychologically as well, that's quite difficult for players. If after 60 minutes it's not really working and they think, ah, oh, but we've got to keep plugging away because there's no one, you know, there's no one to kind of help us out here. Um, you know, if a team kind of figures you out, um, and if Tottenham, you know, have a game plan and it really snuffs out what we're doing, then there's not really many places we can go. And that's, you know, that and and there's there's also the the kind of the thing that basically we just can't give and our attacking players we've got available to us at the moment just have to play every minute of every game at the moment, and that you know that's not a particularly healthy situation, and that probably leads to more injuries as well. So. It, it is a big problem. It's been, uh, to my mind, our single biggest problem for the last eight or nine years, um, and it kind of continues to be at the moment.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, because for example, if you look at this season, and you and you presume, because I think you can draw this conclusion, that everyone at the club knew Welbeck's injury was going to be longer term before the end of the window, for example. Mm. When you say to me, well, we're going to be okay, because on the right we can still play Theo, Ox, Ramsey, Wilson, and Rosicki, I would say to you, all of those players combined might give you 38 games, if you're lucky. It's not beyond reason to think they could all be injured at the same time. And sure enough, they all are. I mean, Jack and Rosicki, you really, it's probably negligent to depend on them contributing at this point in their careers, unfortunately, no matter how much. I may like both of them, and I do like both of them. Mm. Um, Ox, maybe that's a little harsh, but both he and Theo have missed big chunks of seasons for consecutive seasons. And that leaves you with Ramsey who, you know, since coming back, and again, injuries aren't people's fault. I'm not blaming anyone, but since coming back from being Shawcross, Ramsey has had muscle problems, and that's normal after recovering from that kind of injury. So you just wonder, right? I mean, at some point, is this where ruthlessness comes in and you say, you know what, we love Jack Wilshere, we have a lot invested in him, but it's time to move him on and replace him with someone in his earlier mid-20s who has no injury track record or do that with an Oxalade chamberlain or do that with a Rosicky two seasons ago. I mean, is that really the only way you get around this? I mean, anyone can suffer injuries, but when you can name five or six players, Gibbs, Rositsky, Jack, uh, o- Ox, Theo, and all the players you're naming are consistently major injury worries, you then can't turn around and say, how, how, how did this happen? It's terrible luck.
3: Yeah, I yeah, quite, and that and, and that might be it. Um, and like I said, like like you, I don't think uh, the injuries are a symptom of negligence or anything like that. It's just those players, and all their problems are different as well. It's not like they're all going down with the same injuries. Um, they've all got different issues uh, which are manifesting themselves in different ways. And yeah, maybe, and maybe, you know, even like Ramsey, like you said, is getting a lot of muscle injuries, but there's, there are some of those players that, you know, yeah, Ramsey's injured quite a lot, but I don't think anyone's seriously suggesting that we can get rid of him. And so you're looking at where you do have to make a cut or two. And, you know. Maybe
1: it's Jack and Rosicki, and you it, say, we need definitely. someone behind Ramsey who's 24, has no track record of injury, and who we feel fairly confident. While he may be a step down from Jack at his theoretical best, we yeah. can depend on him being available.
3: Yeah, yeah, precisely, and, and maybe maybe it does need that kind of ruthless cull, as it were. I mean, Wysitski, I think his contract's up. I think he wanted to go anyway in the summer and his contract's up, so he'll go. Um, you know, Arteta's injured a lot at the moment. I don't think we'll renew his contract. Um, so, you know, hopefully that frees up two places for two kind of more reliable squad players um, to come in, and maybe that, alleviates things a little bit as well. Um, I, I tend to think that's that's where Wenger will look, that he won't give up on Jack Wilshere just yet. I think he'll look at it and he'll think, right, there's going to be some natural progression here because Arteta and Rosicky are in their 30s. Their contracts are up. I'll lose both of them. I'll buy, you know two squad players in their positions who perhaps have better track records and are a bit more reliable and a bit more available. And maybe he addresses it that way.
1: Alright, well I mean we're not gonna solve the problem on this pod. I mean not yet. Maybe on the next pod. Yeah I, yeah. Let's do that. Um all right so enough about that. Look, it's depressing and I you know, I, I hate I hate two things. I hate the narrative I, I hate... forget the narrative. I hate that word. I hate having to discuss injuries season after season. And I also just get fatigue on that being the excuse. And it is an excuse, but at some point it's not an excuse because you need to prepare your squad to have a composition of players that don't get injured all the time. Anyway, um, so it's North London Derby at the weekend. Obviously not coming off a great result, but our form in the league is good. Um, the bad news is no... Bellerin and as much as you weren't really worried about Debushi in in Germany and we kind of disagreed about that but I certainly see your point I could see Bellerin's absence especially with Campbell on that side as well being more of a concern this weekend so let me ask you this how worried are you about the right side and do you think the manager will be worried enough to possibly consider a change like bringing Flamini in and moving an Ozil out to the wing or something like that
3: I think he could do yes um I do think, yeah, like I said, I wasn't as worried about missing Bellerin on on Wednesday. I'm more worried about it on Sunday because of what he adds to our attacking play. And, I mean, he is that right side, um, effectively, because the way Ramsey plays, he kind of floats inside anyway. Um, And so, from an attacking point of view, that's a big blow. Um, I wonder whether he'll be minded to play Gibbs on the left and move Alexis over to the right-hand side. Um, He did that. He did that briefly um, in, in Munich I think when he made one of his substitutions when he brought Campbell off um, and he moved Gibbs to the left and Alexis to the right and I, I do wonder if he'll be tempted to do that because um, one thing about Spurs and, and you know their managers you know their manager is a good student of the opposition um, and he always tries to find ways he, he very much tailors his game to the opposition and that Kind of worries me um, because I think he'll he'll have a plan effectively, and I'm not sure that that right side is kind of sparky or creative enough um, to really overcome that. It's it's not so much a quality issue; it's just you know some players have that kind of spark and some don't. And you know Debuchy and Campbell aren't bad players, but I'm I'm not sure. I'm confident they would have the kind of creative thought process to overcome, overcome that. And Spurs are an incredibly hard-working team as well. I think they cover more ground than any other team in the Premier League by quite a long distance. Um, and that you know that's another thing that worries me because one of the things we might have been able to capitalise on is is them tiring in the last 20 minutes with, you know, a good substitution. But it's hard to see where that good substitution comes from. Um, I'm yeah, I mean, if you look at the
1: bench at midweek, right? Yeah, <laughs> your option, your attacking options were Rain, Adelaide, and Iwobi. You know.
3: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And where do you really go with that? Um, I am, however, enthused to see that. Um, recording this on Thursday evening, and Spurs are playing at the moment. That they've gone with their strongest team against Anderlecht in the Europa League. I'm I'm enthused to see. That. I'm glad to see that. I wondered if they might rest a few players. So maybe that works uh, in our favour a bit. We ha- we have actually have an extra 24 hours over them, um, and maybe we can use that to our advantage in the last 20 minutes because I'm expecting this to be a very tight game, um, and actually I'm predicting a draw. Um, so, you know, may- maybe we can use that to our advantage, and there'll be a lot of players who've played a lot of minutes recently and might be tired, but, you know, Wenger might say to, say to them, well, you know, Spurs have had... A game on Thursday night, they played their full team and, you know, maybe they're more tired than you are um, and whether that has any kind of psychological impact. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting a very tight game. I, I think it might be a draw.
1: Interesting. Well, I mean, we know they'll press. That's where I think we could use the extra body in midfield. That's why if we went with Cochrane Flamini... Kazorla uh, and you know Ozil nominally on the right, or Kazorla nominally on the right, coming in like Ramsey does to give that other option in midfield. It wouldn't be the end of the world. Um, you know, if you can break their press, you should have options in behind them. And I'm not convinced defensively they're fantastic. If you can get around them in midfield, um, I just I really worry about that right hand side, and I, I think the manager has to at least consider an alternative. I I think if it was any other manager and any other player, he might even consider going to Chambers on the right. Or even like a, you know, so shifting Monreal and using Gibbs or something. But I think, given Dubushi's Frenchness and age and just what's happened to him since coming to Arsenal, the manager will feel some kind of responsibility to give him the chance to show he can perform, and hopefully he will. Um, we will actually uh, have the pleasure of discussing that game after it happens. So. It's big. I mean, it's big because the league looks realistic and it's big because if we can get a win and get to the international break and maybe get a little bit fit, Mm. um, you know, hopefully things can start to look up. Um, You know, we we managed to get past Swansea and if we can manage to get past Spurs, we may start to get some players back or just lose the rest of them in the international break. So let's leave it there. I know you're exhausted. Uh, No sleep for a couple of days will do that. And I'm about to start a couple of days like that. So... Tim, uh, always a pleasure. I'm really glad you made it back safe, and I'm sorry that the the result wasn't better.
3: Well, celebrate.
1: Celebrate. Yeah, at least you drank good beer and ate good pork. Um, Tim is on Twitter at Stilberto. You can read his fine writing all over the internet, especially uh, on Ars Blog every Thursday. Um, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Strongly recommend it. We'll be back after the Spurs game. Uh, it's a big one, North London derby. So I assure you, uh, we will come to you after that game, and hopefully, North London will continue to be read and they will be forever in our shadow. Uh, Until then, cheers.
3: I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast.